if you feed children beauty, they grow into a love of beauty. And you will find beauty yourself in the things and the people that you look at. Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. And yet, for many of us, our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us. We tend toward negativity, self-pity, jealousy, or fear. We see what we don't have instead of what we do. We think things that hold us back and dampen our spirit. But it's not just about thinking. Our actions matter. It takes conscious, consistent, and creative effort to make a life worth living. This podcast is about how other people keep themselves moving in the right direction, how they feed their good wolf. Being active is more important than ever, and that's why I am excited to introduce On, perhaps the best-kept secret in the running world. I love these shoes. I have been buying them for four years, and I don't buy anything else. They were founded in 2010 in Zurich, Switzerland, and it's the fastest-growing running brand globally. Their philosophy is that you should run how you were born to run. Instead of correcting your movement, on shoes react to your individual running motion. As I said, I love these shoes. I use them for trail running, for all uh, running on the streets, and just day-to-day wear. They are amazing. And on is offering our listeners an exclusive offer. Try the shoes or gear for up to 30 days commitment-free. Head to on-running.com slash feed and pick your favorite shoes and apparel items. Apply the code TRYONFEED at checkout to test your new products for 30 days. Love them, keep them. Not convinced? Send them back for a full refund. That's on-running.com slash feed and the promo code is TRYONFEED. Thanks for joining us. On this episode, we interview Sister Joan Chittister, a Benedictine sister of Erie, Pennsylvania. She's the author of over 50 books and is the winner of 14 Catholic Press Association Awards. Sister Joan is an international speaker who inspires both her audiences and readers with her passion for justice, equality, and peace, especially for women in both society and the church. On this episode, Eric and Sister Joan discuss her book, Radical Spirit, 12 Ways to Live a Free and Authentic Life. Hi, Sister Joan. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. I'm happy to be here. It's a real honor to have you on. You've written over 50 books. We're going to be touching on highlights from uh, some of them, but a lot of the time we're going to spend on your most recent book, which is called Radical Spirit. 12 Ways to Live a Free and Authentic Life. Yes, wonderful. But before we get into that, let's start like we always do with the parable. There's a grandmother who's talking with her granddaughter, and she says, In life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the granddaughter stops and thinks about it for a second and looks up at her grandmother. And she says, well, grandmother, which one wins? And the grandmother says, the one you feed. 
So I'd like to start off by asking you what that parable means to you in your life and in the work that you do. Well, in the first place, it happens to be one of my favorite parables, too. I've used it often in public because I consider it uh, both productive and cautionary. If we don't learn the lesson of this parable, uh, we're going to extend where we are, and God help us if we do that. For instance, when you talk about the soul being developed by the part of it that you feed, if you feed it beauty, if you feed children beauty, then they grow into a love of beauty, and you will find beauty yourself in the things and the people that you look at. If you feed those same people, if you feed yourself, for instance, with the kind of crude, rude, lewd language that we're being subjected to now in the name of uh, freeing ourselves from political correctness, we will shape our souls into exactly the, the contorted, diminished attitude toward one another on which brink we now stand. This, this is the lived expression and experience of what we mean when we say words matter, experiences matter. Our neurologists tell us that experience actually shapes the brain and therefore the personality. What we're feeding into the airwaves today is going to affect this country, uh, this generation, and our own perspective on life 10 years to come. I frankly don't think, Eric, that you could start this program with any more important piece of information. And if this was all you did, it would have uh, uh, such an impact, such a gift in this culture that we might really save ourselves from our worst selves. Hmm, that's beautiful. I love that. And we're going to do so much more than just that. So we've got that great answer, and we're going to go into a lot of other things that you've done. So, But I want to start by saying, you know, sometimes different things come together at different times, which is interesting. So I knew I was interviewing you, but and I knew a little bit about you, but I didn't know a lot about you. So that put that on, on one side. And I split my time between Columbus, Ohio and Atlanta, Georgia, and I decided I needed a couple days of silence. So I went to the Monastery of the Holy Spirit, which is in Conyers, Georgia, for a couple-day sort of personal retreat, Yes, which is a Benedictine monastery, of which is the same order that you are from. And um, sitting in the uh, drawer of the little desk in my room was the Rule of St. Benedict, which is a lot of what your most recent book is about. It explores the rule of St. Benedict. And I just was sort of, so come back from that, and I now start getting into your work to prepare for the interview, and I'm like, well, I'll be damned. There it is. So really, really interesting uh, confluence for me there. Um, the new book really focuses on the idea of humility. You say that humility in the rule of Benedict is the spiritual hinge on which the rest of life depends. Could you uh, expand on that for me? Yeah, I'd love to, actually. The book is built on chapter seven of this short rule, 72 small chapters, probably one of the smallest spiritual documents uh, in history. And But chapter seven is the longest of them all. Uh, this I take to indicate 
that this is really Benedictine spirituality as Benedict understood it, meaning this is the portion of life that he wanted us as people to concentrate on, to build our own impact on the world and the world's impact on us. This this spirituality, uh, interestingly enough, hardly uses a single theological term, if any. It's all built around who you become as a human being and how you can become the human being to be. Its, its simplicity is overwhelming. Having said all that, I have to also admit, uh, Eric, that though I believe, I genuinely believe that this book and this topic will determine the nature of life, uh, certainly in this country and maybe on this planet, for uh, the next hundred years, certainly for the next several generations. But I also know that it's a risky interview that, that you are bold enough to have because humility has not been an American thing. This whole notion of humility has in our culture been confused with humiliations. There is no relationship whatsoever to the debasement of the spirit and the sanctification of the humble spirit. They are two unlikes badly confused and therefore, um, I think, uh, resisted by the modern mind. And it's a shame because it's holding us back from our own best development. So you say that humility, ironically, is about coming to understand that spiritual simplicity is not about the debasement of the self, nor is it about the aggrandizement of the self. So what is it? So I'm going to ask you your own question back to you. So talk to me about what humility is, if it's not either of those extremes. Well, it's the ability to understand my place in the universe, in our relationship, in my work, and to neither distort it for its greatness or overlook its import. It comes from a Latin word meaning humus or earth. It's, it's taking a genuine photograph of yourself, knowing who you are and how you have become that and what you need to do if, if you know that some part of you is off. How do you reclaim that? How do you chart your own growth to fullness? Uh, our culture has... In its, remember, we're, we were a pioneer nation. Um, we, we on, we've only had a government for 200 years. And when you compare that to the Egyptians in 5,000 years, uh, that in itself is humbling. Uh, and yet, in order to do that, we have called ourselves to, to greatness. If you listen to the news today, you will hear your president say that he has done better than any other president he is smarter than anybody he knows. He is um, more experienced and prepared for this than any president we've ever had in the past. Our tendency has been toward self-superiority. Humility says, be who you are. Know who you are. Respect those around you who are also worthy of that and take your place in the human race 
so that we can all profit on not just others from me, but me from others. That makes us a strong community when we are recognizing and developing everybody's talents in the group. We are a group then that, that simply can't be broken. It's a, it's a very powerful insight into human community and the human condition within it. I love that. A lot of my spiritual development happened within a 12-step program, and there's a fair amount of humility discussed in 12-step programs. One of the things that was said to me then that just always resonated with me was that, you know, humility is not um, about, you know, how good you are or how bad you are. It's about having an accurate picture of who you are, of your strengths, of your weaknesses. That's it. That's it. Yes. That's the truth. I'm thrilled to hear you say that you have had some experience with a 12-step program. I have been talking about humility as a Benedictine, to Benedictines, as well as to other groups in uh, spiritual exercises and conferences for literally years. Literally. I have really been convinced that this is the, the cornerstone of Benedictine spirituality and Benedictine spirituality, remember, is the oldest institutionalized spirituality in the church. The only thing that's older in the church, Benedictinism, is the church itself. This this document is written in the 6th century, 580, and is still uh, seen as as a centerpiece of the spiritual life uh, 1,500 years later. We can't minimize anything like that. So when you come along and say, I understand these steps. My, my heart grows because in, in conference after conference, I have been told over the years, people will come up to the, to the microphone uh, before I get a chance to, to leave it and say something like this. Uh, do you know the 12-step program? And I didn't. And I, had, I was asked it so many times that I finally decided I had to know what that was myself. And when I compared the two programs, I, I began to wonder whether or not the founder uh, of AA, Bill, might not himself have been a Benedictine or certainly been trained by Benedictines to come so close, to understand so completely this same attitude toward life. And then as I discovered, uh, I studied and I researched, no, there isn't a sign in anything I found that he knew this material. And so I sat down and I thought about it for a long time. And I said to myself, first, the question was, how can that be? And the answer was, because holiness is the same everywhere. When a person has had the courage to look at themselves and every aspect of their attitudes and their behaviors in the world around them, that's the beginner's step to the fullness of, of spiritual development. And of course he knows these steps because he was that holy. He was that honest. He was that real about himself. And he has brought thousands of us to the same consciousness. So it seems to me that it's a, it's a wedding of insights that the world badly needs.
Finding the right software online is a real challenge for your business. I know we wrestle with it all of the time. There's just so many different options, and it's hard to tell. You go to one site, and they say they've got good reviews, but are those really real reviews? Who knows? But with Captera, the leading free online resource, you can actually find over 750,000 reviews of products from real software users. And you can discover everything you need to make an informed decision. Search more than 700 specific categories of software, everything from project management to email marketing to video creation to yoga studio management software. No matter what kind of software your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Join the millions of people who use Captera each month to find the right tools for their business. Visit captera.com wolf for free today to find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. captera.com wolf. Captera. That's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash wolf. Captera. Software selection simplified. Your birth control should be delivered to you when you need it, where you need it, without judgment, and with your physician available to answer questions you might have. Fought for by a woman for women, For Hers is helping women across the country get convenient and affordable access to birth control. There's no need to take travel time out of your already busy day. For Hers provides access to licensed doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe you birth control that can be delivered direct to your door. Everybody's body is different, so For Hers offers 10 well-known birth control options. Whether you're already taking birth control or have no idea where to start, For Hers will connect you to a doctor online who can help determine the option that will work best for you. Order now. My listeners can get their first month of birth control from ForHers.com for just $5 right now while supplies last and subject to doctor approval. See website for full details. Go to ForHers.com wolf. That's F-O-R-H-E-R-S dot com slash wolf. Forhers dot com slash wolf. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and safety information. Let me pose a question to you that comes to me with 12-step programs or, or AA in this case with with Bill. And I think some of this is probably just the distortion that happens when humans get a hold of anything. Because it's not, you know, thinking we're everything in the world, and it's also not thinking we're the worst thing in the world. And and a lot of times what can happen in um, 12-step programs when they're interpreted incorrectly is that people get all hung up on all the things that are bad about them. I'm, you know, I'm this, I'm that. And, and I think that you talk often about that narcissism is really a, a, a disease in our culture, right? And I couldn't agree more. I think it's everywhere. But I also work with a lot of people individually, one-on-one, who have the sort of polar opposite of that, which is I'm just a 
you know, a piece of you know what. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so I'm kind of curious, how do people who, who look at the narcissism piece, um, and maybe that's not them. I'm not, you know, they're not saying I'm the best at this there ever was. Maybe they're saying I'm the worst at this there ever yeah. was. Talk to me about how humility helps someone who's sort of coming from that orientation. It, it seems to me, Eric, that they're the same thing. Hmm. They're just a different approach. It's uh, when when you have debasement instead of uh, aggrandizement, self-aggrandizement, you still have a false self at both ends of the schedule there. And that's as equally unreal as uh, self-aggrandizement is. It just what it does is as long as I'm crawling along on my belly saying, well, I, but I'm, no, I'm not that. No, I couldn't do that. No, I, I wouldn't understand that. No, no, I couldn't be called. No, no, I couldn't even think of, uh, of volunteering myself as, uh, as, as chairman of the church committee. No, no, I, I, I'm not that bright or that, or that smart. <laughs> that's, the, that's also a, an excuse for not being willing to face myself. It, it's, it's as protective as the other is unreal. As long as I separate myself from my own talents, from my own insights, from the strength of my own experiences, then I really don't have to produce, do I? And as long as I exaggerate my talents and I uh, re- and I assume that I have, that I own all the strength and all the intelligence, I am completely separating myself from the, the responsibility of recognizing my failures. So one way I escape all responsibility by refusing it on the basis of the fact that I'm not capable of it, and the other way I assume all responsibilities on the basis of the fact that I'm the brightest person here and therefore no one can question me. There's, there's, there's terrible loss on both ends here. The one may seem humble and uh, is self-protective and the other may seem to be nothing but narcissism but is equally self-protective. Yeah, you say that humility is the virtue of liberation from the tyranny of the self. To your point, both those positions, the common theme is that I'm thinking about myself all the time. You know, it's all about how myself fits into all of this. And, um, you know, that's certainly been, you know, one of the things that, you know, my spiritual path has been a lot about is uh, I recognized nothing like being um, a homeless heroin addict at 24 to sort of help wake you up. Um, But, you know, I realized very early on that like it was that burden of self, whether it was thinking I'm great or thinking I'm terrible or all that. It was, it's that burden of self that I've really worked to and continue to work to, to, you know, to try and find some freedom from. Yes, you've said it all. What we're looking for is freedom. That's what the book is about, how to live an authentic and free life so that we aren't hiding from ourselves or uh, rejecting others who have a great deal to teach us and uh, and, uh, the support we need if we'll only admit it. Exactly. So I want to just 
change direction slightly here, and I want to talk about the role of obedience. And that's a term that comes up a fair amount in your book. It certainly uh, threads its way through the rule of St. Benedict, is this idea of of obedience. And yet, at the same time, you are a person who, although I'm sure huge parts of your life have been founded on obedience, you've certainly found times where obedience to the church was not your highest calling. So talk to me about um, how you balance those two things. The the one, the, the obedience that is well, maybe first, let's have you define obedience a little bit better, because I think a lot of us have a misframed notion of it. But maybe then just talk about that idea in general. Oh, yeah, that's an important one, because I think um, we have distorted that word considerably. Uh, obedience comes from the Latin word obedire, meaning to listen, to listen. Now, we say to our children, you'll listen to me because I told you to. But that doesn't mean that the child listens. It just means you get to oppress somebody else. Each of us grows into the ability to listen. Listen to the will of God for the world. Listen to what nature is trying to tell us right now. Listen to the animals and their care for the earth. Listen to uh, an older generation who has been through a depression or a, a, a breakdown of the economy. Uh, listen to all of the information and insight and wisdom around you, and then, then follow the best turn of, of your life in this moment at, at this time in history. Oh, uh, listen, obedience does not mean that we simply submit our conscience and our brains and our souls and our responsibilities to an authority figure. That's a military obedience. It means when I say halt, that I'm keeping you six inches away from falling down into a thousand foot gorge. That's, that's a very different uh, and frankly, a false a philosophical notion of obedience. It was never right. It, and it never applied to the upper classes. It applied only to the slaves. And we bring that with us into a modern world and say, this person is a dissenter. No, this person is a thinker. This person has a question and is inviting you into the conversation to answer it. Uh, the, the very notion that you go online for how many times? 250 times, you told me? You go online. <laughs> You listen to people who, who come into your studio with different experiences in life, and you share that with, uh, with a public that is also eager to listen so that they can make up their own minds about who they are and how they get there. To, to put obedience into the realm of some sort of, of slave-master relationship or of child-adult relationship is absolutely the worst thing we can do to the development of full human beings around us. Wow, that's powerful. I couldn't agree more. This notion that we use obedience to oppress the very people we should be developing. As parents know instinctively that every year of a child's life, they, they let out more rope. 
Mm-hmm. They, they they throw the chains away one at a time. Why? Because they want these children to be capable of making good decisions about their own lives and their relationships with others. So what, what are we saying? The old notion, the false notion of obedience then has got to be thrown away if we're going to bring our children to the fullness of their own lives and minds and souls. Yeah, that makes total sense and is a great example. Life can be stressful. Between work, family, and everything in between, it's not always easy to find time for yourself. Talkspace Online Therapy makes taking care of your mental health more affordable and convenient than ever before. Simply provide your preferences for therapy, and Talkspace will match you with one of 4,000-plus therapists the very same day. No matter what you're going through, you're not alone. Join more than 1 million people who feel happier with Talkspace. It's also affordable. One month of therapy on the Talkspace platform costs about the same amount as a single face-to-face session. Best of all, you'll never have to wait a week to share what's on your mind. Talkspace has more than 4,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing the challenges we all face. To match with your perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code WOLF to get your first week free and show your support for this show. That's Talkspace.com and use the code WOLF. Let's change direction just a little bit, and I want to talk about two other words that show up in your writing an awful lot, and I'm just going to put them next to each other, and maybe you're headed towards the same thing with with both of them, or maybe you want to talk about them slightly differently, but those words are endurance and stability. Yeah, I believe that most things are solved by endurance and by perseverance and persistence. Uh, I doubt that much of anything, including great intellectual ability, is ever, ever comes full uh, from, from the kernel. All things, including great talent, need to be developed, uh, practiced, maintained, uh, or they'll never, they'll never be what they're meant to be. So endurance, perseverance, persistence is what I see as the basis of both a a spiritual uh, and intellectual and a social life. We learn how to relate to people. We don't get at anything in toto at once. So the word means a lot to me because we are a, a fast food generation. We want everything now. And we we get a lot of now. But what you can't rush is 
is your is your own cooking. You you can't rush your own development. You can only face the need for various stages of it and find the help you're looking for to bring it uh, to ripeness. Without this, the greatest of efforts will fail. We have to be prepared. We 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 read stories constantly, uh, especially coming out of science. Scientists who worked on a minuscule problem and spent their lives working on it until they finally figured it out. We do the same thing with our marriages, our relationships, our intellectual development. We persist. We stay in the relationship. We stay at the question. We stay with the the development it takes to to bring our own abilities uh, to 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 their ripest level. Why? So that we can be of service to others. That's that's why we become. And if we become for any lesser reason, they will never be the fullness of what they should be. One of the things that you speak so eloquently to in that exact same arena is, you know, what you just said is so spot on. Everything that's worthwhile, we need to stick with. You also talk about how, and I think this is really thought of best in spiritual condition, is is that some of the things that we need to develop only come to us through the practice of endurance almost for its own sake, for the ability to go through the fallow times, the low times, and going through that develops a capacity in us that um, is so important. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say earlier, that we simply have to understand that nothing of any value intellectually, spiritually, or socially comes overnight and whole at, uh, at the same time. Uh, every single element of our lives are things that that grow from small portions to full portions. And for instance, uh, I knew at the age of 14, literally knew at the age of 14 that I was a writer and I would never be completely happy without it. I, I, that was so certain to me. Now, having said that, as you pointed out earlier, I've been writing and writing and writing, and I still consider every day of it new practice. I don't consider that that it has come to wholeness. I don't con- I don't think for a minute that uh, I shouldn't be uh, developing uh, other parts of it, other other elements of of uh, my writing or even of my understanding other people's writings. So we, we have as much capacity as we have life. The, the important thing is not to, not to quit in midair, to take what we love and, main, and uh, give it what it deserves so that it can give back to us what we are. Let's change directions one more time here to, well, it's not really a total change of direction, but you have a book um, that focuses a lot on the role of darkness in our lives. You say darkness deserves gratitude. It's the alleluia point at which we learn to understand that all growth does not take place in the sunlight. And, you know, my own experience in life has confirmed this over and over and over again, that, you know, the most difficult dark times for me have often been 
some of the most important times. The question that I wonder about a lot, though, and, and I've asked multiple times of many people on this show, is that real suffering seems to do one of two things with people. For some people, they emerge um, stronger, better, more compassionate, strong, kind people from it. And other people seem to be broken by it. And I'm curious in your experience, what, what are the characteristics or what are the things that allow some people to be transformed by it and other people to be broken by it? I have another book, Eric, one of, probably one of my five favorite books myself called Scarred by Struggle, Transformed by Hope. And in that book, I lay out nine phases of, of um, what I call the, the freedom from struggle, the freedom from depression, the freedom from the sense of loss or failure. And, and those elements are, are kind of way stations on the way to fullness of life. Uh, I've, I've just gone through, for instance, let's say um, my children were, were killed in an automobile crash. The, the uh, effect of that is overwhelming on me. I, I really am losing my grip on life, nor do I want to live anymore. Now, what, what do I do there? How do I maintain myself? How do I survive? Well, in the first place, we survive because we have no other option. Because life goes on around us, and we must we we must somehow or other fit ourselves into that. But that can take a long time unless someone sits with us and and helps us figure out how life has become distorted at this moment. It isn't that some people can't make it. It is that they can't get the help or the insight that they need to make it. So what they're suffering, what they're dealing with is a pressure on the soul so severe that if they cannot find a helping hand or a way through this forest, if nobody puts up the stop signs that enables them to say, I got through that one, I can go through the next, then they're left, they're abandoned. It's one of the reasons that psychologists are so important in this society, because society moves so quickly here that you can hardly grow into anything calmly or quietly or slowly. So we, we, if we find a good psychologist, a good spiritual director, uh, a, a good wisdom figure, we, they can give us the time to examine each phase of this new world that we're facing. Some people have it. Some people have it because their own educations have prepared them for it, or they are in a very tight-knit community that, that surrounds them at the time of great pain, doesn't allow the abandonment to eat at their soul, doesn't allow them uh, to, to think that they might not continue breathing in the next moment. So it's not, it's neither great strength, excuse me, nor great weakness that we're talking about. We're talking about community, support, understanding, care. All of those items are terribly important at the time of great breakdown. So when you every time you go to a funeral home, you know how that is. You don't want to go because you don't know what to say. 
until you've been there yourself, until you know how important it was that somebody walked up to that, to that coffin, put a hand on your shoulder and said, we'll be calling you next week. I'm sorry about this. I know this pain must be terrible. Well, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be getting together. Struggling with the connection here, as listeners can probably hear, and it sounds like we've got some weather moving in that's causing some trouble. So I think we're going to wrap up, but thank you so much. Such beautiful work. I, I've enjoyed learning about it, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, you're more than welcome, Eric. I can only thank you for producing this kind of a quality program. I have no doubt that your listeners uh, wait for your materials, and I'm grateful to you for the time and effort you put into that. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, and we'll try this again another time. If what you just heard was helpful to you, please consider making a donation to the One You Feed podcast. Head over to oneufeed.net slash support. The One You Feed podcast would like to sincerely thank our sponsors for supporting the show.